As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Chairman Powell wrapping up 2023 and unleashing a monster rally. From New York City this afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. Alongside Tom Keane and Lisa Brambitz, I'm Jonathan Farrow. Here are the scores in the equity market right now on the S&P 500, up by more than 1%. On the Nasdaq, up by 1.1%. The words of Emily Rowland of John Hancock Investment, it's a pivot party and everybody's invited. Chairman Powell just turned up the music. In the bond market, two-year, 10-year, 30-year, look a little something like this. We're down 26 (coughs) basis points on a two-year to 447. On a 10-year, we're down 16 to 4.04%. We all had a big question coming into this news conference. Would Chairman Powell push back against these big moves in this bond market, these big moves in this stock market? He said, we still have a ways to go. Nobody is declaring victory. That would be premature. Then just seconds later, he said this. And a question of when will it become, become appropriate to begin dialing back the amount of policy restraint in place, that, that begins to come into view uh, and is clearly a discussion, topic of discussion out in the world and, and also a discussion for us uh, at, at our meeting today. We discussed the timing of rate cuts at today's meeting. Lisa Bramwitz, that was not the pushback some people were looking for. If this was pushback, he might as well have screamed, we did it and popped champagne, right? If you're talking about a party, he basically endorsed the view that we have of the market. What I'm looking at right now is the expectation of 140 basis points of rate cuts being priced into Fed funds futures for next year. This is basically an endorsement of that by Fed Chair Powell, who had ample opportunities to push back and did not to me, that. it's beyond that. It's to the real economy. This is truly an historic meeting. I did not expect that. I went back to March of 2020. Let's call it the pandemic meeting, certainly with that impact. But I think you've got to go back 25 years. What was unspoken there is everybody plays the Fed parlor game and this and that and the other is this is a resounding vote in the American real economy and in the productivity of the country. That's that's going to all be in the research over the next 48 hours. It's seduced by engineering that soft landing. <clears throat> to me, it's CK. immaculate productivity. Really that's leaning my new into phrase. that. Really leaning into that yeah. in a big way. Yeah, it, this is, I, I can't, I got goosebumps right now, folks. I can't emphasize how unique this meeting is. I, I don't, I have no idea how Lagarde and Dudley respond to this. I have no idea what Christine Lagarde does tomorrow. I like your phrasing, seduced <clears throat> by the idea that they could potentially get a soft landing. And the response to the question about the easing of financial conditions and whether that worked against their goal 
was not was not <coughs> particularly uh, not I don't want to say satisfactory, but didn't really give me a sense of what the answer actually was, right? Because it, we're looking at a situation where people are just all in endorsing bonds, endorsing stocks, yeah. endorsing the soft landing. And it is very rare. It is a unicorn. And so how much does this start to push things in the opposite direction? John, I'm going to frame this. I wrote to Mohammed Alarian, I think it was out on Twitter, like 20 minutes before. And I said, two standard deviations is 4.06%. That's right where we went. I did not expect that. We blew through that and almost hit the Bramo uh, line, which is 3.99XX. We didn't get there. We did not get to the land of Bramo, but we, we were really quite close. You have to remember, Tom, at the end of October, when people put together their year-ahead outlooks for the end of 2024, <laughs> targets like 5,200 was 20% upside from where we were. And now you wonder, TK, is it bullish enough? And that's going to make people it's, really, really uncomfortable yeah. as we start to bring forward a ton of gains into year end. I'll be quick here. We've got some two, uh, two special guests for you right now on radio and television. But, John, what I saw there is what I'm going to call non-log convexity, which is a curve to the Russell 2000, which is an acceleration of money in. And I just wonder to year end how traditional money reacts. And if you get what Greg Peters talked about, which is some legit convexity here. What's the bet? I think the bet right now, Tom, is that growth doesn't get hit hard. <coughs> this Fed's going to cut based on what we've just been told by Chairman Powell, or yes. rather what we weren't told, and what's implied already in market pricing. But Lisa, what would upset the bet? What would upset the bet right now is you get a real downturn in the economy. That's not part of this story that's been priced in at the moment. And there's dissonance when the Fed statement is saying that there is a lagging effect, a lagging <coughs> impact of Fed rate hikes that hasn't yet been played out. If that's the case, where is that in the statement yeah. of economic projections? We have a terrific lineup for you, and we start strong here after this historic press conference with William Dudley. He's a former New York Fed president, a student at California Berkeley years ago of our monetary history and, of course, Bloomberg Economics senior advisor. As I said, Bill, I got goosebumps. It just seems to be a massive statement that even if we have nominal GDP of 4%, we have immaculate productivity and will somehow get through this. Do we sustain this market reaction, this belief in America, or do we, are we in set for some titanic disappointment? Well, I think that Powell's uh, press conference made clear that he's really pleased by how the economy's performed. The fact that you could get inflation down without the unemployment rate going up, you had some moderation in wages, he thinks everything is going really, really well. And I think that's true. The question is whether it's going to continue or not. And there are definitely things that can go wrong. One thing that can go wrong is the Fed keeps monetary policy too tight for too long and we have a weaker economy. Another thing that can go wrong is the Fed can ease policy prematurely or the market itself can ease financial conditions prematurely, which will stimulate the economy and make it so that the Fed can't cut rates as quick, at all as quickly as the market expects. I think the market's getting a little ahead of itself here uh, in, in the sense of taking the Fed's optimism and translating that into very large reductions in short-term rates in 2024. Bill, what do you think happened to the Chairman Powell of only two weeks ago? <laughs> I just think that they're very happy with how the economy's performed. I mean, basically, they've had decent growth, uh, unemployment rate stable, and inflation's come down a lot. And that's basically, you know, as good as it can get. And that's really what's summarized in the summary of economic projections. Now, summary of economic projections shows a very modest increase in the unemployment rate from here, 
and essentially a soft landing kind of forecast. Now, soft landings are really difficult to pull off, and they're particularly difficult to pull off when you've been very late to tighten monetary policy. And what's allowed this to happen is that there were supply disruptions, there was reduction in labor supply, both those things have reversed, and that's made the Fed's job a lot easier. Bill, the prospect of getting sticky inflation into next year, getting stuck at three. It's amazing because six months ago, Bill, we were told that the last mile was difficult. It was hard. Then Secretary Yellen starts sounding like the Fed chair again, saying it's not that hard. You hear it from Chairman Powell, didn't get any indication it would be particularly difficult into next year. Do you think that is the prudent approach to what 2024 could look like? I think he's telling you what he really thinks. I think he's very happy with how things have performed. And he, he didn't say it would necessarily continue, but he also said it, that he was hopeful that these trends would continue into 2024. Uh, my own view is that uh, the Fed is going to be cutting rates in 2024. We're clearly done in terms of rate hikes. Uh, you know, the, the, the possibility of another rate hike is really low at, at this point. Uh, the question is really just uh, timing of rate cuts uh, and magnitude. And that's going to be basically be driven by the strength of the economy, pressure on resources, and what actually happens to services inflation at this point. Bill, do you think that Jay Powell did a good job? Do you think that it was right for him to say what he thinks and not push back at all against the market uh, party? I always think it's good to say what you really think. But, it, you know, I think the problem with doing so is it's basically added fuel to the fire. Uh, you know, Powell talks about the long legs of monetary policy, but financial conditions are much, much more accommodative than they were just a few months ago. And if you look at the Fed's own assessment of financial conditions back at the end of October, the impulse from financial conditions to the economy based on the Fed's own model was pretty neutral. So financial conditions now are actually adding uh, impulse of t- t- towards economic growth going forward. I, I look, Bill, at where we are, and it's clearly beyond the pandemic. We've had a number of conversations all across a long surveillance day about how goods are goods, and we've got some deflation and service sector inflation's coming down. Is this economy beyond the pandemic? If you were to talk to Mary Daly in San Francisco, to John Williams at the New York Fed, can we say our economy is beyond the pandemic? Uh, I think I think mostly in the sense that the conditions today are very similar to where we were in February 2020, uh, when we had a very tight labor market. The difference is wages are a bit higher, inflation's a bit higher, and monetary policy is considerably tighter. But it does feel more like February 2020 than it does between any, any period after that. Bill, sit tight. I want to bring in Mike McKee down in Washington, D.C. Michael McKee, you were in that news conference. Were you surprised by the approach from Chairman Powell? Well, I wasn't surprised by the approach once we'd heard the, from the Fed and in their statement and what we saw in the dot plot. Uh, but it is a rather dramatic change from what he said just uh, 12 days ago about it not being time to talk uh, about rate cuts. Obviously, they did today. Uh, They're feeling much better about the overall state of the economy. As one analyst put it today, if a good inflation report is Jay Powell's idea of a good time, then his party has turned into a rager because inflation is coming down very quickly. And then the next question becomes, as I asked him, when do you cut? And that's the part they're not ready to get into yet or describe. And so we're probably still in for a few months of the markets watching the data and trying to guess when the Fed is going to respond. Michael, within all the blur of the data and all the guesstimates forward, did they frame out a subpar GDP, either real or nominal? Did they frame out subpar growth? 
Well, basically, that's what Powell said we're going to get because the direction of the economy is slower and the uh, lagged effects of their rate increases have not yet completely been felt. But that the economy will start picking up again and growing to potential. And he also admitted the possibility of a surprise there, that the economy grows faster than expected, is also very real. So I think they're, uh, at this point, working on the models that they have, but admitting that they have been wrong before and we could see faster growth. But the interesting thing was, uh, other than a sort of perfunctory caution, he wasn't suggesting that we are now, th that they would go back necessarily to rate increases. Mike McKee, thank you, sir. Great job today, as always. The reaction pouring in this afternoon, this line from Steve Chevron over at Federated. Initial take is he wants to cut. He always saw inflation as transitory. Bramo, your favorite. It's come down on the supply side. He smells a soft landing and wants the cut to stick the landing. He had no interest in pushing back against market expectations, right or wrong. It's bullish for now. That's the takeaway from Chevron this afternoon. That's exactly where I wanted to go, and I wanted to get Bill Dudley's opinion about whether we did get, basically, confirmation of transitory. Do you think, when we look back, the Fed won't have been wrong when it came to transitory inflation? They just were premature. Uh, I think that most of the inflation pressure we've had which was transitory, but not all of it. I mean, I think some of the services inflation is, is due to the tightness of the labor market. I think what's really interesting about Paul's press conference today is he talked also about the risk of being too late to cut. So he actually admitted the possibility that if we stay tight for too long, we could actually have a, a economy that's too weak relative to what we desire. And that's, that's something new from Chair uh, Powell. That's a very important point, the ex-postedness of it, if you will, uh, Dr. Dudley. They've got to wait, wait, wait after the fact. So let's take something coarse like the unemployment rate. How many months do they have to wait until they get real confidence that the labor economy has caught up with our immaculate disinflation? I think they're going to be looking at what happens to the uh, unemployment rate, the tightness of the labor market, and what the consequences of that are for wages. Uh, Powell did admit that wage inflation is still a little bit too high to be consistent with 2% inflation. But, boy, the Fed is pretty close to where they want to be in, 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 their, in their outlook at this point. Bill, you've been on the committee before. You can look at this from the outside now. It's a tricky game, this one, to get into someone's head, and I think maybe one we shouldn't play, but I think on this occasion we should. Two weeks ago, I heard from a very different Fed chairman, and I'm trying to work out what happened today, whether that was just a man who was representing his own views and this was a man who was representing the committee's view, or whether, like we've indicated, he's being seduced by this idea of netting a soft landing and the guy who was trying to act like Volcker was never really Volcker. What is it? What do you make of who Chairman Powell is and what he ultimately thinks about things? Well, the fact that he's worried about keeping monetary policy too tight for too long tells you that he's not thinking like Paul Volcker. So there is a, you know, and, he, and there is a risk to the Fed uh, cutting rates uh, prematurely. But I think what's coming across <laughs> is the fact that he's just really, really happy with how things have evolved and that, you know, optimism is showing through as it has show, shown through from time to time in press, past press conferences. Right. Bill, it's maybe not your remit, but it's certainly the New York Fed's remit. They're going to take treat keep track of flows off of declining interest rates. What is the stability or instability that you observe in $6 trillion of cash, let's say most of it loaded in money market funds? As that yield comes down, is our system going to be able to handle it? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any problem. I mean, you know, the Federal Reserve sets <laughs> the short-term interest rates and then money market rates trade off that. If, if money market rates, you know, 
firm up a little bit, then money will flow back into the money market mutual funds. I'm not worried about that at, at all at this point. Bill, just to wrap it all together, do you think that the chance of a hard landing has gone down materially over the past month, or do you think that it's about the same or even has gone up? Well, I think it's gone down materially over the last six months. I mean, over the last month, I don't think things have changed very much, but definitely the prospects of a soft landing are the best they've been uh, in the you know, last year or two. Something changed in the last two weeks for Chairman Powell. <laughs> That's yep. for sure. Bill, good to catch up. Bill Dudley there of Bloomberg Opinion, former New York Fed president. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let's recap the price action. Some well moves across the board in the equity market and in bonds since the start of November, the end of October. This afternoon at 1% on the S&P. The gains fade a touch, but big gains nonetheless. On the Nasdaq up by 0.9%. How about the Russell? The small caps up by 2.7%. We're talking about gains of more than 10% since early November on the S&P 500. A year in a month. In the bond market, two-year, 10-year, 30-year, two-year, 447. When the Fed met in November, the morning of that meeting, on the second day of that meeting, 492 on a two-year. Right now, 447.25. What a turnaround, TK. Close to 5% and all the way back down again. Yeah, there's nothing we're always looking at. I mean, it's something as idiosyncratic as a Turkish lira is on a bid today for the first time since the time began. But, yeah, you can look across all of the equities, bonds, currencies, commodities and see the effect of this. John, I want to go on one week. I want to go on two weeks. Every strategist out there has to republish and readjust. And let me tell you, you got your outlook to bed December 5. Yeah. Let's go in this weekend. We're rewriting it. I mean, is this is that dramatic. I have to correct what I said. I was quoting the 10-year. The 10-year was a 492. The two-year back in early November was 3.5%. These are massive changes. Back down to 447 <clears throat> on a two-year, on a 10-year, just above 4%. Bramo, in the FX market, I think we've got to talk about this. The tug of war that we're going to see play out now, off the back of what we've just heard and into tomorrow with the ECB. The euro at the moment looks like this, 108.68, that currency pair positive by 0.7%. Given the moves we've seen in the bond market, that dollar is a whole lot weaker. Where does this leave President Lagarde in tomorrow's meeting? Hold my beer. I mean, right? essentially, is this what she's going to say is, OK, I'll take that and I'll raise you by saying, I think we should raise, uh, we should cut rates in March. This is going to be a bigger question. Did the whole world experience pandemic era inflation that has largely subsided and that was ultimately transitory, or is there something else at play? Jay Powell did not want to embrace the question about financial conditions loosening and what that means. Are we going to hear the same thing from, uh, from Christine Lagarde? There was a moment in that news conference, just a moment where he reflected on how wrong so many people have been in 2023. 
And I think before we go home for Christmas, the holidays and look ahead to 2024, Tom, we need to reflect with some humility <coughs> about what went wrong in 2023. Last year, 12 yeah. months ago, looking out 12 months, we were talking about the prospect of recession, of much higher unemployment. We called the Fed's forecast aspirational. <clears throat> TK, we had bank failures, some of the right. biggest bank failures we've seen in decades, not just in this country, but around the world. And yet a couple of quarters later, we had GDP north of well, 5%. Point. So when we talk that's about net and a soft landing, getting all these rate cuts the Fed is talking about with the, the economic weakness, <clears throat> I think we've got to remember this has been a very, very difficult yeah. economy to forecast, and the next 12 months might be equally right. as tricky. We're re-piecing the show together for tomorrow, folks. This is so profound. Our team's going to work all evening to give you the best tomorrow morning that we can. And, and Amy said to me, who do we talk to? And, you know, the usual names. You mentioned Bob Michael, J.P. Morgan. I think to see a bank like J.P. Morgan recast uh, their view forward. But I looked to Urian Timmer at Fidelity with decades of experience of real economy analysis. And this is a Lagarde, the Lagarde distinction. If we do 4% nominal, what's the character of that American 4% growth versus whatever number you have in Europe? They don't have the technological pop that we have. Can we introduce some politics into this? <clears throat> Did you, you speak with Vice Chair hey, Biden? This gets really, really <laughs> difficult. Going into next year, okay, let's say we get 75 basis points of cuts. Where are they landing? And does the political calendar shape where you think that comes, Lisa? <coughs> Given that we're going to have campaign in full flow, full flow going through next year, are you telling me they're going to wait until June? We had Matt Lazzetti at Deutsche Bank on the programme a little bit earlier, Lisa, and he said they start in June and they go 175 basis points. They start in June and go 175 <coughs> into the election. Right now, there is a 74% chance of a rate cut at the March meeting for the Federal Reserve. That is what I'm looking at in terms of what people are expecting. If the Fed is currently talking about cutting rates, why would they wait until June? From politics, for politics, they could be accused of political interference either way, uh, deciding on when they move. TK, that's the question. Why wait? Well, there's the why wait, but there's also look at the further data. And again, I'm skewed towards a study of the real economy. We finished strong here. Jeffrey Rosenberg with his portfolio manager, BlackRock Systematic multi-strategy fund. He will be systematically reviewing everything after this historic meeting. Jeff, you know, we're at gunpoint at Carnegie Mellon, you were required to read both volumes of Alan Meltzer and get out the 60s, the 70s in Fed meeting. And what Dr. Meltzer would say is it is at the end of the day about the real economy. What did Jerome Powell today say about the American economy with this stunning statement, the dots in the Q&A? Yeah, it was overall a validation of uh, the transitory view. And, you know, what was a little bit feared going into the press conference was whether he would push back. Uh, he got the softball from Nick Timoros on financial conditions. <laughs> now be and, nice. And, and, and clearly, <laughs> you know, chose not to hit it out of the park in terms of pushing back on, on financial conditions. And that was a green light to continue the initial reaction from what we got uh, in the statement of economic projections and the dots and the 75 basis points and the dots is clearly the surprise. So, you know, this is a green light for investors. I think Nick's question and this question of financial conditions, Bill Dudley mentioned it a minute ago, this is the problem is that this can go on for a while and it can 
get overdone in terms of how much easing the market does before the Fed. But the message today is the Fed is very happy with what they've seen. What changed? Uh, you know, clearly it's the validation on the inflation story. And they're very pleased that after getting it wrong for so long, they're really getting the validation in, in getting it right. So, Jeff, what do you do? Stay on the ball, hold on, well, grip I, tightly, don't let go. What do you do? I, I mean, the short term is, is you can't really fight this until there's some kind of fundamental data from the economy side that pushes back. And, and there hasn't been. It's all been coming up, soft landing, inflation declines. Yesterday, you can squint at Core Core. Nobody seems to look at Core Core anymore. He mentioned it very briefly. It actually popped up. Uh, so there are some, you know, vulnerabilities, but the message and the concern, no one's looking at the vulnerabilities. They're looking at the validation. And so with that validation, this bullish sentiment can go on for a while until we get a new round of economic data. And, and until then, I think, I think the message is, is pretty clear that uh, the Fed is, is more than willing to see an easing in financial conditions, won't step uh, in the way of that. Kathy Jones of uh, Schwab, Charles Schwab, put this out on X or Twitter. With that, I have to revise my 2024 outlook. Happy to do it. Are you revising your 2024 outlook after this meeting? You know, I, I've done this for so long that I don't do the whole, you know, Christmas in July, outlooks in October <laughs> kind of thing because you end up with this problem. So, no, I don't have to revise it because I just I just haven't put it out yet. Uh, so uh, that's that's a, a, a good plan. A bold and, strategy. Uh, <laughs> you know, I look, Jeff, at where we are and I just looked up one of the BlackRock money market funds, 5.2491%. Where's all that money going? I mean, this is right up your wheelhouse. Where's all that money going when that yield comes down? You, you know, you asked this question in the pre-segment to one of the guests, and I was listening in. And, you know, this is the change. This is the turning point. I because agree. last year, it was all about you're rewarded for staying in cash when the cash rates are going up. <laughs> When the cash rates start going down, now your rate of return starts going down in, in cash. So it is the signal to start moving out of cash into, into more term rates in fixed income, to lock in rates at their highest yields if you're going into a cutting cycle, to move back into risk as but we talked about earlier the the lack of a hard landing, the over forecasting of recession fears, the legacy of the damage of 2022 that's kept people happily in cash. All of that dissipates. And, and, and I think that's what I was referring to before. You got to be careful as, as to how big that easing in financial conditions can become and how that can undo some of what the Fed thinks is the right stance. But that being said, this is a turning point. And I think you do start to see that money move out of money markets into riskier assets, into more term rates, to lock in higher rates. As the cash rates start to come down, you're penalized now in 2024 for holding cash because the rates and the, pro the, the prospect of the rates is, is to go lower. Jeff, what would you advocate for? You're sitting in cash, you've missed the rally of the last month, you see yields drop and you get nervous. Reinvestment risk is not just something to worry about, it's real. You see the moves in a single day of more than 20 basis points. What are you advocating for? 
Well, I, th- I think there's lots of different ways to step out of cash into, it depends on the, on the risk perspective, but in fixed income, you know, that movement into the front end of the curve, you can step out a little bit more into the belly. It's going to lock in not only some yield levels, but you'll pick up a bit more price appreciation in a total return context in a falling rate environment. I think you can go further, the soft landing, the lack of economic recession, it bolsters yield and yield pickup in terms terms of uh, income and credit risk, that credit risk, it's priced in, but it's not going to collapse. And so if you avoid the recession, investors can, can step out on the risk spectrum and fixed income, increase yield levels relative to cash, lock those in. And as long as that recession outlook is avoided, and that's not a guarantee, but that seems, again, with what the data is showing to be the more likely scenario, uh, you know, you'll lock in those yields and, and achieve a higher return than what you're going to get out of sitting in cash. I want to just point out that we're down now about a percentage point in less than a month on 10-year benchmark yields. This is full faith credit, the most liquid market in the world, and we're seeing fluctuations that we have never seen before. Does that raise any concerns for you that we are seeing such incredible volatility in just uh, the market's psychology on not that much different in terms of news, as you pointed out earlier? Yeah, it's a really good point. When, when thinking about what the fixed income market looks like from a portfolio context, we just have to get more used to uh, this higher level of volatility. You know, the ag index, the benchmark for fixed income used to be a three to 4% volatility instrument. Today, it's about double that. So so when you're balancing out portfolios, there's just a higher level of risk. You can mitigate that by being shorter in terms of duration. Some of the more attractiveness in the front end of the curve is you've got still the highest yields and with the lower duration, less volatility, but a bit less price appreciation too. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there, but it is, to Lisa's point, you gotta expect this isn't the old fixed income market. It's a newer fixed income market. It means higher volatility, right. better yields still in the front end until we normalize. Hey Jeff, one final question. Torsten Slack and Apollo had out a stunning chart today of the spike in bankruptcies. Within all this, and I mean from a political economic standpoint, the history of this meeting, the shock of this meeting, is this a meeting that just benefits the halves of America? Half this country's flat on their back and the others are living large. The Dow's up 460 points. Is this just about almost the financialization and advantage of the elite in America? So I love Torsten, love, love his work. You know, what he's highlighting now, and he's, he's done this for a while, um, is there's a distributional aspect of our economy that Thank gets you. lost in these aggregate statistics. And so there is an impact of rising interest rates. There is an impact of the significant tightening in interest rate policy. But you don't see it as much in the aggregate. You see it when you disaggregate and that, that distributional side. So the bottom end of consumers, the bottom end of credit uh, is more vulnerable. And you're starting to see that. But it's still a distributional story. It's what you would expect to see in the tales. And it is showing the effect of that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that story is exacerbated, extrapolated into the aggregate view. It's part of the story. It's an important part. Credit cycles begin from the bottom, and so you got to watch that. But the counterpoint is that the rest of the distribution has created a lot of immunity, if you will. Not permanent immunity, but a lot of reservoirs to buffer the increases in interest rates. On the consumer side, that's from savings. On the corporate side, that's from fixing 
uh, maturities and terming out interest rates. And the reason is we had such a prolonged period of zero interest rates so that the shock of interest rates isn't as much of a shock as it appears. It can be, and we have to watch it. And you're certainly seeing it, as Torsten's highlighting, you know, in some of the tales, but it's not really the, the aggregate story yet. Jeff, I've got a few seconds. Pick a month for the first rate cut. I know you're not <laughs> going to give us an outlook, but just pick a month, Jeff. Uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to give you June, June. Uh, you know, sometime in the summer. Uh, okay. I, I think the March and I know, Neil, uh, maybe a little bit early. Uh, what's the rush? Uh, they still want to make sure uh, they've, they've nailed the inflation. story. Got to leave it there, Jeff. Good to catch up, buddy. Always is. Jeff Rosenberg there of BlackRock. The Federal Reserve chair does not want to declare victory. Let me tell you, this market already has. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.